Welcome to the free sermon podcast of the Potter's House Church in Virginia Beach, affiliated with Christian Fellowship Ministries. Our vision is winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. It's Monday, and we are posting an instant classic for your inspiration. This message may come from anywhere around the globe, but is sure to stay with you for years to come. Make sure to subscribe from wherever you're listening to continue hearing life-changing messages. If you like what you hear, please support World Evangelism by subscribing to the premium version of this podcast for even more sermons. Links are in the show notes. Enjoy today's sermon. And that there are differences between them. And we want to use our, the term now gender instead of sex because gender allows us a continuum between maleness and femaleness in our generation. And I want to tell you, quoting one writer, you cannot get a feminist theology from a Christian Bible. So I want to preach to you what you can't not know. Out of Genesis chapter 2, if you'd like to look there with me, just one verse of Scripture. I want to read verse 23. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Lord Jesus, we ask your blessing. I pray for a grace from heaven on this assembly, this sermon, all of them this morning, Lord God. I pray, Lord God, that indeed every spirit of confusion and error would be cast down, nullified, and made void, that your truth would be established in the name of Jesus. Lord, we ask it in your name, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. So you're going to understand what we want to minister on today. You've got to go back to the book of Genesis. Genesis is the seed plot of the Bible. All of history revolves around what happens in Genesis 1 through 11, and in particular in Genesis 1 through 3. All of our understanding of salvation is traced back to those events. And so if we're going to grasp anything or understand anything, then we're going to have to understand what went on in the book of Genesis. We have a whole uh, evolution debate going on in our generation, and it's not about dinosaurs. It's about the truth of Genesis chapters 1, 2, and 3, and whether or not that's how it all came about. Say, many liberal theologians want to make the first part of Genesis just an epic story or a myth. It's the Gilgamesh epic, or it's the story of the founding of New Zealand by squeezing your nose and dragging it out of the ocean or whatever that myth is. Or it's a bunch of men in a hole eating peyote and waiting for another spirit to arise out of the sea papu. And, uh, and it's all myth to the liberal theologians. And that's where the assault is, is on the veracity and truth of the Word of God. Just the facts, ma'am. And so just the facts, Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 to 31, is that when God has created by divine fiat everything that exists, and he then says, let us make man in our image. That means that God, when it came to you and I, God had a deliberation. 
It's not simply spoken into existence. It's not simply put out there, no consultation. There's a deliberation about this creature called man, and there's a deliberate deliberation. He is made in the image of God. He is given a divine mandate to be fruitful and have dominion. And God says, male and female, he created them. Genesis chapter 2, just the facts. They're pretty simple. God did not create an undifferentiated sameness in male and female. When we look at this, we need to be very careful. It is not simply mere anatomy. The assumption of feminism is that apart from an anatomical difference... Men and women are exactly the same. And if they're raised identically, then they have equal potential in any arena that they want to enter into that women can be hockey players and men can be nursemaids with equal aplomb and there is no difference. Grasp the story. Man is made by God out of the dust of the earth. He is stationed in the garden He is commanded to have dominion, to tend the garden. He is commanded to work the work of God in the garden that God placed him in. As God looked at that, it is all good. Now he looks at man, and man does not see his aloneness as a problem. He names all of the creatures He names them all by the wisdom that God gives him. And so now God looks and says, No, that aloneness is not good. And out of all of the creation, there is not someone comparable to Adam. And God puts him to sleep and takes out of his side or out of him and fashions a woman. And when he fashioned woman, he gave her two X chromosomes. Dos equis. The man he had already made has an X and a Y, which gives rise to all of the questions since then. Why? Why did you make my husband like that? Why? He's got a Y. God brings her to Adam and he names her woman, giving her a name that signifies her relationship to him. She is identified with Adam. And when you want to talk about mankind, that's how God talks about mankind. I'm not offended by humankind and personhood and all of the gender-neutral terms. If you're going to be biblical, God, in Genesis 5, verse 2, he called them, them, man. If God called us man, then it's a good term. We can call us man. Genesis 3, verse 9, if we go to Genesis chapter 3, God calls Adam, this is after the sin. God goes into the garden. Eve has partaken of the fruit. She's given it to Adam, Now God comes 
And he calls for Adam, and he calls, listen to me, he does not call for Eve, he calls for Adam. This is second person singular. Adam. He's not calling for Eve, he's calling for Adam. He's not calling for you guys. <laughs> he's calling for you, Adam. Now these are the salient facts. Salient means that these are the facts, it means they point to something. These salient facts give us a, an idea, an idea of God's intention. God's interest, listen to me, God's interest is not in leveling the playing field. The United States went out in the first round of the World Cup. And one commentator said the reason is because of soccer moms. that mothers are making the decisions about the athleticism of their boys, not their dads, and mothers don't like football, that is American gridiron football, because it's too dangerous for the little guys. It teaches them aggression, teaches them how to push somebody away from them, teaches them how to tackle and knock people down. And so what's been created in America is not reflective of World Cup football around the world, but in America it is, a, it is viewed as a sport that is safe for the little guys. And so we have sissy football in America. Now God's not interested in leveling the playing field. All of us can run around, the little girls can run around, the little guys can run around, we can all run around, and we won't keep score because we want everybody to be a loser. God's not interested in leveling the playing field. If you think of the parable of the talents, he gave five to one and two to the other and one to the other. Well, that's not fair! So what? That's not fair. This is what happened in John 21 when uh, Jesus is talking about, about Peter being uh, martyred and, and Peter said, well, that's not fair. What about John? And Jesus basically says, what about him? What, why, why is John your business? He's not interested in leveling the playing field. Jesus chose 12 men. They're all men. Oh my gosh, unequal, unequal, unfair, unfair. And they were all Jews. God does not level the playing field. And you've got to, got to grasp what is going on here. Because in our mindset... We're, gonna, we're, we're having trouble with that. And feminists have a great deal of trouble with that. It's not fair. It's not fair. But listen, there is no necessary connection between personal worth and that status or place that you are given in life. Now, some of you don't believe me. 
There is no connection. There is no necessary connection. The judgment in the parable of the talents, go back to the parable of the talents, the judgment is not because the man with one talent was inherently worth less than those with the other talents. He was judged because he was stupid. He was stupid about God, who God was, and who's really in charge, and he was stupid about money. Just like our generation. And he's judged not because he's inherently worth less, but he's judged based on what he did with what he got. And God's interested in you doing with what you got, not contemplating your navel over what you don't got. If I had a million dollars, I'd give it all to God, you lying buzzard. (laughs) You self-deceived... Say, well, I don't understand. The only way that you can make this case uh, to be unfair is if you look look at it through carnal eyes. I'm a man, I I deal with a man all the time. He wearies me nearly to death because, uh, because every single thing that we talk about, he brings up money. Because his whole outlook on life is based on money and your whole worth and your whole value and everything is based upon money. That is a carnal view. That's not heavenly, that's carnal. And God did not make men and women the same. He did not level the playing field. He's not interested in that. Now there's another Thing these salient facts point to, and that is that God made them male and female, and so if you are created as a male, I don't want to just, just devolve into a queer-bashing frenzy here, <laughs> but if God made you a man, you are not a suitable wife. God looked at the man and said, there's no one comparable to him. And he made a helpmate or a helper comparable, depending on your translation there. And uh, and he made someone that was a suitable partner in marriage. And it's shocking that even lesbian dog lovers understand that to get more dogs, you have to have male and female. What you can't not get. You have to get it. That only the union of a male and female create children. That's just an old biological thing. Well, evolution has has programmed in that we will have queers. No, no, no. Every generation that produces queers, they are being programmed out of the equation. All of this occurs before the fall. Sin has not entered the creation. That means that marriage, sex roles, differences between men and women are not cultural. Well, that old wicked patriarchal society of the Hebrews. No, 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 no. That's got nothing to do with it. 
This is before the fall. This is before sin. This is when God looks at the creation and declares it to be good, declares it to be wonderful, declares it to be perfect, declares it's all done. It is finished. The work's finished and God rested. Marriage is not the product of culture. Because you listen to your wife, God speaks to Adam, your wife, the wife, he was married to her before sin came in. Marriage is God's institution. Maleness and femaleness are woven into, as Pastor Payne said, the creation itself. That there is a dynamic that we have to grasp. You can't not get it. You have to get it because this is how God set it up. And I want to tell you that we are not evolving into grander and grander and grander. All of you that go to college are going to be exposed to the idea that men are getting better and better, that religion began as this primitive bunch of goofballs smoking peyote, and, and, and now we've got these modern denominations, the modern religion. No, 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 no. Religion, pure and undefiled as God made it, is how it started. And we've been going downhill ever since. Marriage is not the product of culture. Marriage and sex roles are not the product of, uh, of uh, sin. These are woven into the creation. Now that means that God has established headship and authority in the man. I knew, you know, pastors have friends, but I'm not going to have many after this. And so... Uh, God created Adam first. I don't care how you, uh, how you uh, slice and dice this, but that gives the man preeminence. So that gives the man preeminence. That's a biblical principle. It is the firstborn that has the preeminence. And you can go all the way through the Old Testament, move right into the New Testament. Jesus is the firstborn from the dead. He has preeminence. He has a place and a position of authority that is not going to be shared any other place. And I want to tell you that that, that is a reality and that's how God saw it. Because when God came into the garden after the sin, He sought Adam. He sought Adam. In other words, Adam... It's mostly your fault. I'm seeking you, Adam, because I'm holding you accountable. When Paul writes of this, is what I'm saying, you must understand how this came down in Genesis, or you will not understand the rest of the Bible. When God came to him, we read it in Romans, Paul says, just as through one man, who's that, Eve? No, I would like to pin it on the feminists, but it won't work. One man, sin, entered the world and death through sin. If by one man's offense, many died. Judgment came by the offense of one man. By one man's offense, death reigned. Through one man's offense, judgment came. By one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. Who's that man? It's Adam. It's Adam. 
who had that place of headship, authority, and dominion given to him before sin entered the world. He abdicated that, and God held him responsible. Or the woman you gave me, it doesn't count. God wasn't looking for her yet. He tracked her down later. But this is what God saw. Now, there are some footnotes that are necessary. God gives us a progressive revelation. For the theology student in here, let me give you a couple of clues. One of the things you need to do theology is a Bible. The whole thing. All of it. So you can't just be pulling out things here and there and making your own little doctrine. You'll be a Jehovah Witness or a Mormon or some other weirded out thing. You need a Bible. And the second thing that you really, really, really need is not a 39-volume commentary set. You need, this is so profound, you need a dictionary. A dictionary. You know, the thing that gave you fits when you're in elementary school, you're trying to find the words, but you don't know the alphabet, so that thing. A dictionary. Because in a dictionary, you'll find out, contrary to what the feminists believe, you'll find out that authority and authoritarianism are two different things. But when you use the word authority, and there are closet feminists here today, you heard authoritarian. You need a dictionary. They're not the same thing. When you hear uh, the word dominion, you, the feminist hears the word domination. And they may have a similar root, but their meanings widely diverge, and you need to understand that. When you hear the word headship, many feminists hear the word slavery, slavery, and they're not the same thing. So we're interested in gender today, and it's mostly because we're sentimental about it. You know, in, in, in the political campaigns, remember when the, when the, the Vice President Cheney was campaigning and, the, and the, uh, the, uh, the, uh, uh, the media would always ask him, uh, and, uh, what about your lesbian daughter? They're trying to draw out that sentiment, trying to draw out that emotion that is part of the feminist agenda, trying to draw that, well, what if your daughter was lesbian? What if you had a son that was a homosexual? They ask all of the candidates these inane questions. Uh, what about uh, uh, if your daughter came home pregnant and she was unmarried? What about abortion then? And we view everything from this sentimental arena. Most of us in here work with or have relatives that are queers. Hello? Some of them work harder and have better wages than you do. And we get this sentimental idea that, uh, that it's gender, it's just part of our, our makeup, part of our choice, uh, that, uh, you know what, I always felt I had a little girl inside of me. Uh, well, cast her out. She are a demon. She are, plural, a demon. So we have a number of things on through the Bible that we need to touch on. One of them is Galatians 3.28. 
You're all sons of God. The scripture begins in verse 26 through faith in Jesus Christ. For as many of you as were baptized in the Christ have it put on Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. Now sadly, this verse has been abused by a lot of ink. This has been called the feminist credo of equality. This has been called the Magna Carta of Humanity. This has been called the locus classicus of male-female relations. This has been called, ah, this has been called all kinds of things. <laughs> neither male nor female, neither male nor female, neither male nor female. Well, you know what? I, what I said, when you're going to do theology, you have to have a Bible. Not a verse, but a Bible. And what the Bible says is that we have put on Christ. This scripture is about salvation. It has nothing, nothing, nothing to do with sex roles in the church. One man has said it seems precarious to appeal to this verse in support of any view of the role of women in the church. It's precarious for two reasons. First, Paul's statement is not concerned with the role relationship of men and women. It's concerned with our being in Christ. That in Christ we have equal worth. Worth. Not a level playing field, but worth. It's kind of ludicrous where neither Jew nor Greek. Well, if you just looked at the church at that time, there were Greeks and Jews sitting out there. There were slaves and free men sitting out there, and there were men and women. You know, we're not in heaven. You've not, when you got saved, you didn't get magically neutered. You didn't become this sexless creature that walks around. You know, you know it, it, some, some of these perverts need to become sexless, but it, 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 that's not what happened when you got saved. The second reason is the male-female distinction, unlike the other two, slave and free, uh, Greek and Jew, unlike the other two, it has its roots in creation. There are two texts in Corinthians. One of these has the words in it, if a woman prays or prophesies. The other one has the words, let the woman keep silent in the church. And you're going to have to begin to grasp why Paul wrote these letters. Paul did not sit down these letters and write these letters to be a theologian. That's not his intent, and that was not the intent of the Holy Spirit. The intention is that Paul is writing from a pastoral perspective. That Paul has pioneered the Corinthian church. That Paul has now moved on to Ephesus and to other ministries. Paul is now involved, but he's beginning to hear things from Chloe and others that have come to visit in Ephesus. And he's writing back a corrective. In other words, Paul is writing to the Corinthians because they are horribly messed up. They have become a real church, not this model that everybody seems to think they are. And he's writing it pastorally. That is to say, he's writing it in such a way that he's going to kill the fly on the forehead without destroying the creature, without destroying the man, without destroying the church. And so he writes in 1 Corinthians 11, 
And verse 2, it says, I praise you, I praise you for holding or that you remember me and that you hold or keep the traditions as I delivered them. Now, this sets the, the tone for this whole uh, uh, pericope, as the theologians would call it, pericope is my word. And uh, so this whole section of Scripture, uh, and he says, uh, he's going to now talk about the glory of God. And he's going to talk about men and women, and he's going to talk about uh, the, the public ministry uh, that comes into this congregation, uh, and he's going to do it in such a way. I praise you that you keep the traditions, but, now in this case, it is a big but. Some of you have translations that say now. And that's a legitimate way to translate the word. But what he's doing, he's shifting. I'm so glad you keep the traditions, but... Now what's that imply? Oops. When you get called into the pastor's office, I appreciate your ministry, I appreciate everything you're doing, but... You idiot. Can you catch the drift where Paul is going? Because it's already known that the women are praying and prophesying in Corinth. That's why he's writing the letter. That's what he's doing. And he's basically coming down and saying, you know, you have this, but it's going to cause you some trouble. I know you live in democratic Greece and you can do whatever you want to do and I'm over here in Ephesus and you don't have to listen to me at all. I'm writing in absentia. Yes, you can do this, but... Now we know that that's how he's using that term because in verse 6, he begins to put it out. For if a woman is not covered, let her also be shaved. But if it's shameful for a woman to be shaved, then let her submit. Be covered. That's what it says. And he's talking about the glory of God. And he's talking about this dimension. And he makes this statement in verses uh, 8, 9, and 10. Man is not from the woman, but woman's from the man. Nor was man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. For this reason, a woman ought to, that's a moral responsibility, ought to have a symbol of authority on her head. He wraps it up in verse 16, talking about the glory of God. And he says in verse 16, if anyone seems to be contentious, that is to say, if this bothers you, if this irritates you, Corinthians, we do not have any such custom, nor do the churches of God. Can't women preach? Of course they can. This is America. They're ordained all over. They're everywhere. A lot of them are just in homes preaching to their husbands, but that's okay. Listen, you can have it that way. You can do those things. You might even pull out some scriptures and justify it, but it's going to cause you problems. It's going to cause you trouble because we don't have that. He's saying we, the apostles, do not have that tradition, nor do the other churches in the fellowship, or churches of God. 
it continues in chapter 14. God's not the author of confusion, verse 33, but of peace. And then there's a debate as to whether or not the next phrase belongs here or in the next sentence, as in all the churches of the saints. And we're already, all the churches have this tradition. All the churches of the saints. Verse 34, let your women keep silent in the churches. Now it's obvious that that's not a prohibition on speech. God came to Adam and said to him, there's a twofold disobedience here. One is he ate of the fruit of the tree. The other is that he says, God says, because you listened to your wife. And you will connect the dots at what Paul is speaking to here. Listen to the words. Uh, for uh, uh, in all the churches of the saints, let your women keep silent. If they want to learn something, let them learn at home. Uh, and it says in verse 34, as the law says. The law that takes us back to the Torah or back to the Pentateuch or back to Genesis. That he is concerned in chapter 14, as many of you have had to wrestle with over the years with the Baptists who tell you, can't talk in tongues, can't talk in tongues, can't talk in tongues. Dealing with spiritual gifts. And he's dealing with the weight of a spiritual gift. And he's talking about the judgment of spiritual gifts in the house of God. That judgment, that ability to pass judgment on the spiritual gifts, that ability to pass judgment on a, a, a preaching or upon a word from heaven that comes into that congregation, that, that resides in the men. In the men. In the men. In the elders. As the law says, See, people use their spirituality to put it on people that they are something they're not. And Paul is speaking to that issue. He said, no, 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 we're not going to do that. You're not going to get your opinion heard simply because you pop up and speak in tongues. Not going to allow you to bolster your own position and status in the church by being spiritual. Because we have men in the church who are notoriously unspiritual. They just operate on the facts. There's a progressive revelation. Galatians, one of the earlier letters. Corinthians, later on. Then the pastoral letters. Now this is where Paul's moving from the scene. He's not going to be making judgments in the churches. He's, he's quite possibly going to die. So he writes the pastoral epistles. And in, Second Tim, or in 1 Timothy 2, verses 11 and 15, he uh, talks about uh, forbidding a woman to teach or have authority over men. Now he's speaking in a context of rising feminism. You went on a tour of Turkey, you caught the drift. Rising feminism is what finally engulfed the churches of Asia. And so that rising feminist spirit, Paul is speaking to that issue and he labels a false teaching as a, and a demonic teaching as a providing this role of teaching to Jezebel or to women over men. Teach. I forbid a woman to teach. Now in the pastoral, that's a broad term. 
until you get to the pastoral letters. And in the pastoral letters, Paul uses it in a, in a very narrow way. And that word teach is narrowed down to the, to the transmission of biblical or doctrinal truth. And that is to be transmitted from a man into men. Pastor, you're leaving out half the human race. No, women have never attributed men to be a part of the human race. Or have authority. Now, that's a different word. Teaching carries an authority in itself. But those words are connected by a conjunction that makes them dissimilar. It's not just being redundant. You can't teach or have authority. It's not the same. They're not synonyms. There's another dimension. And that dimension has to do with she cannot be an elder, pastor, bishop, general overseer, or pain in the neck to everybody. One more little footnote. What about the Apostle Junius? This is in Romans 16, 7. Greet and not a whole list of people. And Junia in some translations or Junius in others. My countrymen and my fellow prisoners. It's a whole list. And he throws in countrymen and fellow prisoners on the list. Who are of note among the apostles or who are among the apostles. Some translations have it. And, uh, and so the thing, the thing is, oh, Janice, Janice. Oh, that's a, that's a feminine, feminine, feminine ending on that word. Nino, Nina. Junio, Junia. It's a woman. She's an apostle. No. Even if it is a woman, and it may not be, because if you read the New Testament carefully, you'll come across that little word, Elias. Elias, A, that's Elijah. He was far from a woman. But even if she is, the correct and literal way to read that, who are of note among the apostles. That is, apostle is either used in a narrow sense, the 12 plus Paul and a few others, or it is a broad sense, meaning a messenger. She is of note among, and in other words, other people have noticed her work or his work. The grave responsibility or application is now made easy. The bottleneck in ministry is not money, it is men. It is men. Men are required to work. Work is not the punishment. He was told to tend or care or work the garden before sin entered the world. Work is not the punishment, but resistance is. Weeds and, and, and Eve. See, God says to Cain, sin, sin's desire is for you, but you must master it. The same phraseology, the closest phraseology in the whole, whole Bible uh, to that phrase is when God speaks uh, to Adam about Eve and he says, uh, or to Eve, uh, about, about her, uh, her destiny after the sin, your desire. To Cain he said, sin's desire. To Eve he says, your desire will be for your husband. Men will have to lead 
in the face of opposition. You have to tend God's garden, which is the world. Oh, somebody has sown tares in the field. Yes. In your church, there are tares. You have to resist that. In your church, you must resist uh, this feminizing of our generation. Nothing has changed. God created men to have dominion. It's part of the perfection of creation. Men are responsible to romance, love, care, nurture, provide for. All of those roles are to be established by men. Lord bless you this morning, Pastor Man. Thanks again for listening to the free version of the VBPH Sermon Podcast, where we post sermons on Mondays, Wednesdays, Fridays, and Sundays. We also have a premium version of this podcast, which posts sermons and interviews every single day of the week. So why would you want to subscribe? I'm glad you asked. I have five reasons for you. Number one, on the premium version, we post full versions of Testimony Tuesday, Pastor Campbell Thursday, and Study Day Saturday. If you'd like to hear those episodes, then subscribe now. Reason number two, uninterrupted listening. We remove all ads and all extraneous content from our premium feed. Reason number three, premium episodes always release six hours earlier than the free version. If you're an early bird, it's a great reason to subscribe. Number four, our subscribers will gain access to our sermon chat group on WhatsApp, where we interact directly with listeners around the globe. If you'd like to chat with other premium subscribers, subscribe today. And finally, every dollar we raise goes to world evangelism. This is the best reason to subscribe because you are helping us launch churches all around the world. We don't put one dime in our pockets. Everything that we raise from this podcast will go directly to Thursday night of Chandler Conference. So please subscribe today by using the links in the show notes below. Thanks. Thank you so much for listening to the sermon podcast of the Virginia Beach Potter's House Church. Were you blessed by today's message? Let us know. Please leave us a rating on Apple Podcast or on Podchaser. We'll be back next time with another life-changing word from heaven. God bless. God bless.